Hear the word of the Lord. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. Hey, truly the Lord is good. Lord, your word declares this in Psalm 100, that you are are good, that you are are faithful, that we are the sheep of your pastures. And I pray, Father God, today that as we worship you through song and through the preached word, that even if right now our circumstances aren't good, that you would remind us of your goodness through the preaching of your word, that it would knife in between any clouds of despair or discouragement or confusion or pain or heartache or questions, and that through that cloud will come your son, that, it, that he will shine brightly and remind us that you are in control, that you love us, that you are for us, and that you are good. Not, not that you do good, though you do do good, but that you are good. It is who you are. It's your essence. It's your being. You can't be anything but good. And so, Father God, help us to worship you, not ourselves, not our own agenda, not not anything other than you, and to see you clearly through your word. Uh, I pray that you will pour me out as your conduit, allow me to preach faithfully as a man who has been set free by you, to a people who has been set free by you, as a man who is being set free by you, to a people who is being set free by you, for your name's sake and glory. Amen. All right, well, Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, some people are excited about that. Some people are like, oh, really, it is. <laughs> but regardless, today, whether it's Super Bowl Sunday or not, is a Super Sunday because it is the day that the Lord's people through the centuries have gathered together to open up his word, to sing songs to him, whether openly or in private in homes, because Christ is risen. Every Sunday that we gather is a super Sunday because it is a reminder that Jesus died on Friday, but got up with all power in his hand on Sunday, declaring to Satan death and to this world that he is king. And I pray today that that will be a reminder to us that every Lord's Day, whether we feel it or not, is a super Lord's Day. Because it reminds us that death, 
does not have the final word. And that though the truth may be buried, it will always rise again. And the church said, amen. Amen. All right. We're looking at the gospel of Matthew today. And uh, in this, this, this letter that Matthew has written, we've been talking about how Matthew is answering the question, who is Jesus? And he's done this through a, a series of narratives and stories. He starts with a genealogy and then he's going to string together five stories. And each story has these kind of fulfillment statements, these statements that are rooting us and pointing us back to an Old Testament prophecy or prediction. And so today we're going to see again another Old Testament prophecy in chapter 2, verse 6. It says, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This word was given to Micah in a specific time and context uh, for Israel. And it is ultimately being fulfilled, Matthew is showing, with the birth of Jesus and with Jesus's childhood and the fact that Jesus was born in this place that was seen as insignificant and small, six miles outside of Jerusalem. And I've had the privilege of going there. And I'm serious, you blink your eyes a couple times, you're in Bethlehem and you're out of Bethlehem. There's nothing really exciting about it other than the fact that Jesus Christ, the Messiah came from it and Jesus put it on the map. And Micah has given a prophecy about Bethlehem that they are as a people to raise their heads and to lift their heads high, that even though they seem like an insignificant place, they are not the least because they will cradle. They will experience the Messiah. He will come from there. And so Matthew is showing us who is Jesus by answering this question and showing that he is the long awaited Messiah. He is the savior of the world. And in today's story specifically, he's going to show us how he's the savior of the world by allowing us to meet some men who are called Magi. The text says that they are from the east. Some theologians say that they are from Iraq. Some would say that they're probably from Syria or Persia. We don't know exactly where they're from, but they're from the east. They are are pagans. They are astrologers. They are magicians. They are not a people who are worshiping a Yahweh. But yet God reveals himself to them in a special way with a special revelation, sends them on a journey to where they meet Jesus, the Messiah, and they are forever changed. And Matthew's point as he's writing to a mostly a Jewish audience is that not only is Jesus the king of, uh, the, the, from the lineage of David, And from Judea, not only does he fulfill this prophecy and coming from Bethlehem, but that Jesus is the one with whom the nations will one day and gather and worship. And the first people that is worshiping Jesus in Matthew's narrative are Gentiles, are those who are far off, those who have not been given the law and the prophets and the Torah, but those whom God has revealed himself to and brought to see Jesus as king. And so one of the things that I want to look at in this text and one of the themes that is brought up in this text is kind of this picture between, difference between Herod and the Magi. This picture, this difference between the scribes 
and the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders who are going to be brought in and, and these astrologers who come from the Far East. And one thing we're going to see today is that there are only two types of people. There are people who are like Herod and these religious leaders who may be religious and know truths of God, but who have not given their heart to him. We'll call it the establishment. And then there are those who are humble, who by God's special revelation come to know him. And when seeing him are completely taken by his, his, by who he is, by his beauty, by his majesty, and through the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, give everything to him. And so here's the point that I want to make. C.S. Lewis says it profoundly when he says this about Christianity. He says, Christianity, if false is of no importance and if true of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And so today I, I want to pick on some people here today, but I want to pick on you in love because for some of us and probably too many of us, we, we fall in this mushy middle, this place of, of seeing Jesus as moderately important, as being a part of our lives, as a set of truths that we can mentally ascend to but who never really makes us uncomfortable. And when he does make us uncomfortable, he's someone that we can kind of just disregard and we stumble upon his truths and the way that he calls us to live as we want to. And the picture that Matthew is going to give us, because this is a theme throughout the book of the Matthew, that there's either those who are living for Jesus and those who are not. It is either those who are in or those who are out, but that mushy middle does not exist. And even for Christians today, it is a reminder that when we find ourselves in a place of apathy, and that's a part of the Christian life in a place where we don't feel close to Jesus, intimate with him, where we're not emotionally aroused by him, that there's not a place that we want to stay. It's a place where we want to fall on our face and our knees and beg God to have mercy upon us and to make our hearts alive, lest we find ourselves like Herod and these religious leaders, indifferent. So in this text, we're going to see three quick things that I want us to move through. The first is this, is that these wise men are going to search for the Messiah. And we see this in verses one and two. And the Bible calls them wise because they are, are wise, especially I think here with a, the, 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 the call of wise, meaning that by the world standards, they were wise. They were astrologers. They were magicians. They, they knew about the stars and about science. At the end of the story, I think we can truly call them wise because they, they came to see Jesus for who he is. But the Bible says that they start on this journey from the east. And they come to the capital city of Jerusalem searching for this Messiah because a star appeared to them. Now, how wise they are in this story in that they go to the king of the Jews, Herod, and ask him, where is this child who is the king of the Jews? I'm not sure how wise that was. I mean, Herod, like Herod 
was not the person that you would want to come to and say, hey, I know that you're considered the king of the Jews, but where's the real king, right? Uh, that's, I'm not sure how wise that is. Herod was Rome's king of the Jews. He was empowered by the Senate in around uh, B.C. 37 to oversee the Jewish people. Uh, Herod, uh, however, never really quite found a home. He didn't find a home with, with Rome. And he never really found a, a home with uh, the Jewish people. In fact, he was not fully Jewish by blood. And he was not by or from the Davidic line, which meant that no matter how hard he tried, he would never be seen as the Jewish people in the same way that they saw David or in the same way that they were longing for the Messiah. Even though he built the second temple, even though he strategically and politically kind of played both sides, trying to be liked by each, he, he never quite found a home. So to come to Herod and say, where is this Messiah? And that was risky business. And the older Herod got, the more violent he became. History records, Herod the Great was a violent man. In fact, Caesar once said that it is better to be a swine in the house of Herod than to be one of his sons. He murdered three of his sons, including his wife, for political gain. Herod's not the one you want to come to and say, where's the real king? And yet these men have seen a star. They have, they have, have, have seen a revelation from God that allows them to probably in a caravan. It's not three magi. That's a Christmas story. That's a Christmas tale. Get the Christmas pageant out your mind. This isn't what's happening. This is a dangerous voyage. This is risky business. It's probably a whole lot of people coming and onto Jerusalem. It's a whole caravan more than likely. That's why all of Jerusalem is disturbed and upset. It wasn't because it was just three quiet, uh, older men who are like holding little lanterns, like, where's the king? It's no, it's three men of pompous and prestige, well-learned, well-educated, coming into Jerusalem, coming into David's home saying, where is this? Messiah. And then we see that Herod is troubled by this news. So what does he do? He forms, a, he forms a task force. And this task force that he forms, he says, go to these, these men. He calls the religious establishment. People who should have been longing for the Messiah, eager for the Messiah. These people should have ran to Bethlehem once they figure out that these astrologers had come. As a fulfillment of, of, of messianic prophecy, they should have been the first ones there, the first ones eager, but they don't. Why? Because they're about themselves, their own comfort, their own prestige. Honestly, they don't want the Messiah to come. And if he comes, they want them to come and align with their political ideology. They don't want the real Messiah. They want their version of the Messiah. So they miss Jesus. It's a theme throughout Matthew. They're constantly missing Jesus because it's not about the Messiah. It's about them. So Herod says to these magis, go and search carefully for the child. In Greek, that's very specific. He's, he's, he's really saying, like, be specific, be, be, be exact. Find this child for me. And when you find him, bring him back to me so I can go worship him too. Right? Wink, wink. We'll see that that's not his intent at all. In fact, in the next story, which we'll deal with next week, we see that Herod's intent 
is to kill this Messiah because he threatens his livelihood. He threatens his comfort. He threatens his kingdom as he does the rest of this establishment. And what happens when his kingdom is threatened, his comfort is threatened, he murders kids, children, the most vulnerable, the sweetest, the tiniest form of God's imago Dei is extinguished because comforts. I just want to be clear here and just pause for a second to say something that's going to sting a number of people, but it's true. Abortion is a sin. It's not a political thing. It is an assault against the very image of God. Only God gives life. Only God gives life. Psalm 139 says that every single person who is created was known by God before they were conceived. And for some of us in here, we battle men and women with guilt because perhaps we participated in an abortion, encouraged an abortion, took the morning after pill to protect our protect oneself from having a child because one wasn't ready, though we wanted to do the marriage act, though we weren't either married or responsible in having a child. And here's the good news. The good news is if that is you here today and you are in Christ and you have repented from your sin and you are submitting to his lordship and his worldview, you are forgiven. The good news is scandalous that no matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, those secrets that you are afraid of your family members and friends finding out are forgiven by God. And you will never suffer his wrath as a result because his wrath was poured out for his son on the cross for you. But the reality is as a church and as a culture, we need to be very clear that God gives life and it is our job to protect it. And normally when we don't, it is because like Herod, we are obsessed with our own comforts and our own kingdom in the majority of circumstances. And God's invitation for us today is to see how demonic that is. Second, we also want to notice here that Herod, as he is going on this ravenous journey, as he is protecting his own kingdom, man, he is missing, like he's really missing a chance to, to find true freedom. Because comfort and beauty is not found in us holding on to power and building our own kingdom. It's in us relinquishing power and submitting to God. And so we see that the wise man 
Uh, they are going to continue this journey because this star that, that first appeared to them is going to reappear. And I love this text because it reappears and this star leads them to Bethlehem, which is about six miles outside of Jerusalem. And it leads them not only to Bethlehem, but it leads them right to Jesus. And the text says that the star just sits right on the head of Jesus. And it just stays there and it reveals this child. And Jesus is up probably two years old or younger. And these magi, they come to this two-year-old and they're like, wow, this is the Messiah. This is the king. And they throw their gifts before this king. They bring gold and, and frankincense and, and myrrh. And they come with all this pomp. And the Bible says that they're overfilled with joy and they bow down and they worship him. People who were far off, Gentiles, pagans who were astronomers and, 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 and pagan worshipers, they come to see Jesus as the Messiah and, and King and they throw everything before him. What a beautiful picture. Amazing picture. I can just imagine being Jesus. This is the, this is the mystery of the incarnation. A two-year-old child being worshipped by these Gentile astronomers as king. Two-year-old. And Jesus was fully human. Like, he's two, probably, like, got a dirty diaper. <laughs> goo goo gaga. He's just worshipping. He's probably like, more, more. <laughs> no, no, Mine. In a non-sinful way because he was sinless. <laughs> Hypostatic union. Pick up a systematic theology book. Y'all thought y'all had me. And he's, he's there. And they're worshiping him. And the star reveals to him. Now, there's been a lot of talk about what this star is and who the star is or how the star appeared. I spent the last few weeks just reading all kind of theories, uh, some uh, for this biblical record saying that this is definitely uh, God's inspired word. So maybe we should look at different theories on what the star did. Was there a comet? Was there uh, some type of uh, astronomical uh, 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 occurrence or miracle that can be recorded that scientists and astronomers there recorded? And some people think that they found some, some solutions. Others say, no, this wouldn't be because of this. All right. Um, I think the best way for us to understand this star is to see that this was a miraculous appearance. And this was a miraculous appearance for this particular people. Didn't say astronomers from all over came as a particular group. It was God's special revelation. And he spoke to these particular people in a particular way in order to, to bring them to the Messiah. He spoke to a, specific, a particular people in a special way, in which we call special revelation through the star, Psalm 8, and through natural means, Romans 1, to lead them to him. This star came for a short time, appeared, and then reappeared and disappeared and was set right on Jesus' head. I don't care how much science you're into, and if you find a comet, you won't find a comet that left the sky and then just like dangled over someone's head. This was a miracle. But I even think even more, this probably just wasn't a star, it probably was an angel. You say, what? Throughout the book of Matthew, especially the first two chapters, what we see is this emphasis on an, an angelic appearance. Constantly, angels are appearing and reappearing, and there is a, a chance that this 
that this could have actually been an angel, an angel coming as a star to bring these magi who are far off to Jesus. One church historian says, when you hear star, do not think it was a star such as we see, but a divine and angelic power that appeared in the form of a star. The magi were astronomers. And so the Lord used what was familiar to them to draw them to himself. There's this prophecy in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, that Balaam gives, who is uh, not Jewish, but uh, the Lord used him to give a, a future prophecy about the coming Messiah. It says, a star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel. And so many theologians see this as a fulfillment of that, that prophecy and saying that Jesus, uh, in essence, is this king who is going to come and that God was allowing a star to come out of Israel, to appear in Israel, to bring about the Messiah. And so God speaks to these magi in a specific way to bring them to here. And there are some people in this room today who are here, not, you think you're here by accident or you got drug here or you just perhaps came because a neighbor or friend told you to come. And my prayer today is that God, whatever the reason, has brought a star into your life to lead you to hear maybe a different perspective about Jesus. And I don't have anything uh, to offer you other than him. I don't have a fancy rhetoric or oratational skills, that is not where I rest. I'm not standing here to entertain you or to give you the best version of myself or Christianity. But like this star, my goal is to sit right over Jesus's head and to let you know that Jesus is the king of the universe. And he sometimes uses strange things to get our attention. And some of you are here today because you are hurting. You may be an atheist. You may be agnostic. You may be a universalist thinking that there's many ways to God. Whatever you're here, God has brought you here and he is using your pain so that you can hear this. God has revealed himself in a specific way through his son. True joy and true life is only found in him. The God of this universe who created all things came to redeem humanity, who chose to be king of their own hearts and lives from the very beginning, and thereby a curse fell upon the world. But God loved the world too much to allow its inhabitants to not know his love for them. And he sent his son, Jesus, who is fully God as a baby to redeem that which is broken, that those who place their faith in him and to submit to his lordship will find true life and true joy. And many of us in here started just like you. Perhaps we were religious or did not believe in Jesus and we try any and everything to fill a void that was in our soul and our heart only to find out that no matter what we put there, there was still a hopelessness and an emptiness. And God showed up in a special way one day for many of us. And though it seems foolish to the world, we came to see Jesus as our greatest treasure. We imperfectly worship him. We imperfectly serve him. And we sometimes in the name of Jesus do some really dumb stuff, 
but he forgives us and he is helping us to grow and to find our satisfaction in him. And I encourage you, you may have come because you like a boy or a girl. God is using that star to bring you here so you can meet the greatest star and his name is Jesus. He is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. And he's coming back again. And he sees you. He sees your trauma. He sees your pain. He sees your brokenness. He sees your emptiness. He sees your questions. And he is there for you. Turn to him and trust him. Listen, either you honor Christ as king or you're hostile to, towards him. There's no mushy middle. There's no Jesus and something else. It's Jesus alone. And that goes for us Christians here today too. Some of us, we are very apathetic. We're in this religious establishment. We're following Jesus means showing up on Sunday to go to church. We're following Jesus means just reading our Bibles to check it off the list. We're following Jesus means having a right stance on a specific issue or dressing a certain way or eating certain foods or drinking at certain coffee shops or wearing certain clothes. And Jesus is saying today, no, to follow me is to follow me, is to have a relationship with me. It's like these magi to come to me, to bow down and to give all of me. The best of me. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, it was, that, was, that was the best that, that the world had to offer. I mean, that's what Queen Sheba brought to Solomon. It's as if Matthew is saying, one who is greater than Solomon is here. But even though we, they give him gold, myrrh, and frankincense, that is not what Jesus was after. Jesus was not after that stuff. Jesus was after them. And the same is true for you here today. Jesus is not after your moralism or merely your intellect. He's after your heart. And once he has your heart, he will use those things for his glory. Revelations 3.15 says, I know the works that you have, you are neither hot, cold or hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. This is Jesus speaking to the church of Lacedia. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I'm not, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. To the lukewarm Christians, see this invitation. And this is not Jesus scolding you. This is Jesus inviting you to experience true joy. You want to know what misery is? Misery is taking and making Jesus to be who you want him to be and not having joy and going through these religious motions out of of an attitude that I have to and I ought to. That's misery. Being lukewarm is miserable. Jesus said, you might as well just go ahead and party and be foolish and temporarily enjoy yourself. Temporarily. Judgment's coming. As opposed to just being that mushy middle, because there's no joy in that mushy. So many Christians are in that mushy middle. What happens when you're in that mushy middle is judgmentalism. 
What happens when you're in that mushy middleism is, 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 is constant guilt and, and, and shame because you're not believing in the gospel or his love for you or what he's done for you, but you're believing in your own performance. What happens in the mushy middle is like this half pursuit of him and, and mostly pursuit of your own kingdom. Oh, would we come to give all of ourselves to him? Like these magi to come, to search him, to seek him, to lay ourselves before him. And that's what Jesus wants. Better to give Jesus your undone, unresolved, sloppy self and to see him as Lord than your external religious self that is not the true you and try to be Savior and Lord of your own life. Better come to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is who I am. I'm still wearing my astronomer's clothes, my astronomer's robe, and I still got some astronomy theology, but I see that you are king and I'm here to submit myself to you. Then to come to Jesus saying, this is who I am and I'm going to go through the motions and be one person in public, but privately and inwardly be another person. Jesus is not after that you. He's after the true you. And he loves you. You, all of you, all of your mess, all of your confusion, all of your heartache, the stuff that keeps you up at night. He, he says, I love, I know it. I know it. And I love, I'm so crazy. I'm crazy about those whom I've set my affection on before the beginning of the world and not because of what they can do for me, but because I am just good crazy about you and all that unresolvedness and undoneness. He says, come to me, come to me. All you are laden and heavy rain. He says, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you me. I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. I'll give you a joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. I'll give you more and more revelations of me. I, I, I won't even overwhelm you with you because if I allowed you to see who you really were, you couldn't even handle it. I'll just allow you to see it in pieces so that you can keep coming to me and depending upon me. I'll give you me. My bruised heels and my bruised arms and my broken body and, and my torn flesh. I'll give you me, my buried body, but I won't stop there. I'll give you me. I'll give you my resurrected myself, my, myself that has all power. I'll give you me. I'll give you my intercessions. I'll give you my my love, I'll give you my joy, I'll, I'll give you me, I'll give you my word, I'll give you my, my promises, I'll give you me. And sometimes me is, is something that you can't even explain. I woke up this morning with a freedom I couldn't even explain. I said, Lord, I don't even know why I feel it, but I do know that I'm no longer who I used to be. I praise God because I, I, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, and now I see. I praise God because even though I'm undone and unresolved in a mess, he, he loves me. And sometimes it don't have to be something deep. Just be, he loves me. And how do I know? Because the Bible tells me so. Sometimes we got to go back to that song that grandma taught us. That's the song that mama taught us. Sometimes we become too dignified, too intellectual, too smart for our own bridges and trying to figure everything out. And therefore, we're walking outside of, of the love that he's revealed to us. How do I know that he loves me? Because the Bible told me so. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How do I know he loved me? Because he died in my place. I just want to stop right there today, amen? I just want to stop right there. This text says that, hey, this messed me up. I'm going to have a quick Charles Spurgeon moment. This text says that the Magi, the Magi saw Jesus, they worshiped him, and they went back home a different way. Mm. Mm. They, they experienced this babe. And Jesus didn't do any miracles. He didn't take two fish and five loaves. He didn't speak a prophetic word. Because of the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, they knew that they had been in the presence of a divine. Child with pampers on, walking around. They just knew something, something was different about this one. This is that Isaiah 9, 6 child. And to us, a child is given. Unto us a son is born and the government shall be on, their, on his shoulders and he shall be called Prince of Peace. They just knew. They were in Herod's presence with all the gold and all the self-accumation, but they didn't, they didn't leave and return home different. But when they met Jesus, they just knew something, something changed. And I can't explain it. Sure, I can explain it to you in a theological way, but I can't explain it. When you when you meet Jesus, some change. It doesn't always change, right, all at the same time, but it changes. The places you used to go, you don't want to go no more. Or as freaking frequent. The things you used to use for comfort, they no longer comfort you. The, the friends that you used to have and, and the way that you used to joke, you no longer want to joke no more. The way you handle conflict, you see, is no longer glorifying God. It's just, it's just change. You go home different. And God's invitation to somebody here today, it's a, he says, give me all of you so that you can go home different. Don't go back home the same way you came. See Jesus. The one who loved you enough to become a child, to die in your place, to defeat death. Worship him as king. Every Sunday when we gather together, we take a meal called communion. This meal reminds us of God's love for us. As Christians, we take this meal. We touch bread. We drink wine or juice in order to have an experience, a short experience, but experience, a tactile experience to remind us that Jesus is a real person whom one day we'll be able to see with our eyes and touch. And this historical person had his body broken and his blood shed so that we might come into relationship with the God of this universe, the one who made the stars and the heavens. And even though there's a lot unresolved and undone in our own hearts and lives, it is a, it is a, a down payment <laughs> to remind us that one day everything that is wrong will be undone. And that God is in the process of making all things new.
Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. If you're not a Christian, my invitation to you is to seriously consider who Jesus is. Don't look at the star that you have gotten to experience through song and through people here of all ages and races and, and at social economic statuses. This, don't ignore the star. Don't ignore the ache in your heart, the unfulfillment in your heart. Don't ignore it. Come like these magi saying, I don't have it all figured out. We don't know everything. All we have is the scrap of the word that we've heard and this person who is miraculous and beautiful in ways that we can't explain. Give your life to him today or ask questions and let us talk to you. We have a prayer chapel. We have some people here that want to talk to you, pray with you, or maybe even just sit in silence with you. And we also have people in the back or you can come talk to me and I would love to tell you uh, what your next step can be. Let's pray.